Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I'm glad that you're here. Today, I want to talk about the myth that people with mental illness are more violent than people who don't have an illness diagnosed. So the myth is that people with mental illness are violent. Violent crime is composed of four offenses. The first being murder and non-negligent manslaughter. The second being forcible rape. The third being robbery and the last being aggravated assault. According to the Uniform Crime Reporting Program's definition, violent crimes involve force or threat of force. So let's start with that, you know, there's, there's a distinct definition of what is included in the idea of violence versus what not. Uh, so what's the truth? The truth is that the vast majority of people with mental illness are not violent. Uh, people who have mental illness are less likely to commit a violent crime than the general population. Those with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violent crime than those of the general population. They are two and a half times more likely to be attacked, raped, or mugged than the general population. So when we are looking at how mental illness correlates with violent crime, what the statistics and data actually tell us is that they are not likely to be the per, uh, perpetuators, the, the uh, people acting out the violence. They're the people who are going to be victimized. Studies have not found any predictable patterns that link criminal conduct and mental illness over time. Uh, people with mental illnesses are on probation or parole at two to four times the rate of the general population, depending upon the state. So this means that if someone with mental illness goes to jail, they are a lot more likely to be considered safe enough to return to society than someone without mental illness. When they're assessed by the people in the judicial system for their safety, they are more likely to be deemed nonviolent individuals than people who do not have mental illness. One in four adults have a mental illness diagnosis. So if that meant that you were more likely to commit violent crime, we would have a lot of violent crime. The amount of violent crime in this country has been decreasing, even though social media and news kind of perpetuates the idea of the reverse. Um, but the statistics tell us that violent crimes overall in the United States has been generally decreasing. On the other hand, the number of people being diagnosed with mental illness is increasing. So logic dictates that if mental illness caused violence, that those numbers would increase or decrease together. And that's not what we're seeing. Uh, what does some of this, where does some of this misconception come from? Why do people have this idea? Where does this myth, you know, find its foundation? Um, so the public is just misinformed between the link between committing violent crimes and mental illness. And, and um, most people believe that there's a strong link when there is very little and actually really just not any. There's just no link. Um, some of this comes from just fear of people who are different. 
Um, humans are inherently egocentric and we inherently like sameness and we inherently don't feel safe when we're around people that are significantly different than us. So we often then assume that those people that are significantly different than us and behaving in ways that we can't predict are unsafe. Um, but this generally doesn't pan out in context of mental illness. Uh, the link between mental illness and violence is promoted by the entertainment and the news industries. Uh, media plays a big role in creating the myth that the mentally ill are violent. Characters in primetime television portrayed as having a mental illness are depicted as the most dangerous of all of the demographic groups. 60% of mentally ill characters are shown to be involved in crime or violence. And this just isn't what is happening in reality. When we hear about crimes committed by people with mental illness, they tend to be big headline making crimes. So they get stuck in people's heads and they hold a higher place in people's minds and they skew people's perceptions of what mental illness is. Um, the person committing the crime, if they have mental illness, uh, that mental illness and their treatment of their mental illness becomes a major part of the story that the news is covering. Even if their mental illness really didn't have anything to do with them committing a crime, it becomes a part of this news coverage. But when someone without mental illness commits a crime, no one bothers to mention, hey, this person has no mental illness. They're completely normal and they're still doing horribly awful things. So we get lots of positive hits in our mind. And this is called selective sampling, um, where we get these positive hits where we're being told, yep, mental illness is violence, mental illness, violence, but we're not being told when the opposite is happening. So we are selectively sampling and it is skewing our perception of what's real. The Bureau of Justice Statistic has uh, a lot of data on this. And unfortunately, that data is frequently taken out of context. So look, let's look at some of that data and add that context into it. So more than half of all prison and jail inmates are found to have a mental health problem. So first, it is important to note that this doesn't mean that whatever crime that they are in for was first of all related to that their mental illness. And the majority of people with mental illness diagnosis in prison did not actually commit a violent crime. So even though they've committed a crime and they've gone to jail, they weren't violent in their criminality because you can be a criminal and you can be in jail and still not have been a violent person. But people often perceive that someone being in jail by default means that they had to have been violent. And this is a misperception as well. Um, so the other thing to know is that this number includes all of those individuals who have substance abuse disorders without any other mental illness diagnosis. And there is a correlation between substance abuse and violence. The most important part of evaluating this data is that the findings represent inmates reporting symptoms rather than official diagnosis and assessment of a mental illness. That means that this data is based solely on an inmate reporting that they have mental illness or symptoms of a mental illness. So this doesn't mean that I think that any of these inmates are lying. 
But I think that it's important to take this data in its context, because having symptoms of a mental illness is not the same as having that illness. They may or they may not. So let's give an example for that of a physical symptom. Let's look at leg pain. Um, it's a symptom of having a fractured femur or a broken leg, but there are numerous reasons that someone can have leg pain, and most of those have nothing to do with having a broken bone. It could be over-exercising, a sprain, a bruise, etc. And mental illness and the symptoms of mental illness are the same. Mental illness symptoms are on a spectrum, and most people will exhibit symptoms of mental illness over their, their lifetime and not be diagnosed as having a mental illness because there's much more going that needs to be going on other than having one or two symptoms. So it's misleading when you are doing a survey that's asking for symptoms of illness rather than looking at some one who has been clinically evaluated and diagnosed. Those are two very different, distinct, very important things to look at. Um, these inmates were not clinically evaluated. This is just essential for us to, to be aware that these numbers do not come from a mental health provider saying that these people are mentally ill. So that number is very skewed and potentially misrepresentative. Um, Self-report-based survey studies are wrought with problems. This is a well-known problem in, in this style of research. Uh, the data that they yield leads uh, to misinformation all the time. This is just a very problematic way of doing research, and we've known this. Um, so when we look at data from this style of, of, of research, that data needs to be viewed in light of how it was collected and where it came from. So while it is meaningful that that this many people are experiencing symptoms of mental illness and reporting a history of mental illness, that is meaningful and it's telling, especially when it is significantly higher than people who are outside of jail are reporting. It means something, but it isn't the same and it isn't the same meaning as looking at the actual clinical manifestations and diagnostic rates of people in prison versus not in prison. Those are two very different things. And we need to remember that when we're looking at these kinds of numbers. Um, so the last thing to know is that all of this data is public and that you can find it on their website or you can actually even request it by mail and they'll send you this big, huge monster packet if you're really interested in knowing more about criminality and the statistics related to mental health because um, the uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics keeps track of all kinds of this stuff. So let's look at some of the things that are actually statistically true. Who commits crime? Men comprise about 81% of all arrests for violent crime and about 63% of all arrests for property crime. So the majority of people who are violent are male. People in the 15 to 24 age range account for about 40% of all arrests, even though they only comprise about 14% of the population. So the most violent people in our country are adolescent males. Uh, social class does, not, does seem to be associated with street crime, with poor individuals doing more than their fair share, most frequently it being theft. 
Uh, big cities have a much higher homicide rate than small towns. Of all arrestees for violent crimes, 60.9% were white, 36.9% were black, and the remainder were of other races. So the majority of people who are violent are white adolescent males. Uh, 41% of violent crimes were committed against college students, and 38% of non-students were committed by an offender using drugs. So majority of our violence happens with adolescent males who are in the age bracket of attending college. So it makes sense that the majority of the crimes that we are seeing are going to happen against other college students are going to be committed by college students and are going to be on the college campus setting because that is frequently where that age bracket is found. About two in five of all rape and sexual assaults were committed by offenders using drugs. Drugs and, you know, substance abuse uh, is absolutely correlated with violence. Uh, 32% of criminals who committed violent crimes said that they were using illegal drugs in the month prior to their offense. Um, More than two-thirds of jail inmates, 68%, were found to be dependent on drugs or alcohol or actively abusing them. So substance abuse does have a correlation, and substance abuse disorder does fall under the DSM, um, and it does fall under the realm of mental illness. So in that context, this one portion of the myth is true in that the mental illness of substance use disorder does increase the risk for violence. That very small piece of it is true. Um, So there's some final notes uh, to kind of keep, you know, in mind. The number of people who believe that mental illness equates to violent or dangerous behaviors has been increasing, even though violent crime has been decreasing. Inaccurate beliefs about mental illness and violence lead to widespread stigma and discrimination. If you believe that someone is dangerous, you are less likely to be kind or supportive to them. That's just the nature of being human. Uh, Stigma is based on misinformation and misunderstanding of what mental illness is. Um, And this is a major, major source of stigma for those with mental illness. This stigma related to mental illness is very damaging. Uh, It reduces treatment availability because it makes it so that people are going to be less likely to support people with mental illness in getting them the help that they need. They're going to be less likely to give people rides because they're going to be afraid and not trust them. They're going to be less likely to want to provide them that care. Um, They're going to be uh, less likely to want to help them go get their medications or take them to their treatments or any any of the things that people will need for support in order to be able to get good treatment for their mental health. Um, And many people choose not to treat, seek treatment for their mental illness because they don't want to risk the stigma that is associated with it. 
And because of the stigma that is associated with mental illness, often people consider it a social issue and not an actual health issue. This frequently leads to insurances not adequately covering mental health services. And they write it off as this is a social problem, not a medical problem. Therefore, medical insurance doesn't need to pay for it. Um, so... Stigma has a major impact on the way that we view mental illness. So it's really important for us to fight against the false information that's out there. And unfortunately, this is a really big and very pervasive one that's very damaging to those with mental illness. People with mental illness are not more violent than those who do not have mental illness. So that's about it for my rambling today. Thanks for coming and spending time with me. If you like what you are listening to, please consider supporting this podcast. It really does help. Until we talk again, you guys take care of yourselves and do what you can to fight against the misinformation that's out there. Bye.